I don't know if you're like me, where you have resolved to make no resolutions in 2020. That's a little bit tricky, isn't it? Uh, Here we are on the first Sunday of 2020, and a new year often brings us perspective. It's a time where we're willing, some of us, to zoom back out and to say, okay, what's going on in my life? We think about all sorts of different things. We're willing to think about our finances or our career, maybe our family, our relationships, our friendships, our hobby, our time, and especially our health. If you hadn't noticed, like a lot of health messages go out this time of year because people, like all the marketing companies know that you're willing to, you know, get fit and to get healthy. And so they're bombarding you with all sorts of messages about diets and about gym memberships and all that sort of stuff. It's just that time of year where we, we kind of pause and we reflect and we think about things on a bigger scale. And I think that's actually a good thing. And what we're going to actually ask our church families to do is to zoom back out and ask some big questions as we start these next few weeks into the year to zoom out and really look at faith and to ask what is the Christian faith and there's two ways that all of us in this room are going to either approach this question it's either a question of what do I believe as a Christian Or what do Christians believe? I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room is a Christian, is a believer. And so if you're not sure of where you stand with God or what you think about this whole Christian thing, this is actually a great series to be coming and being a part of our church family because we're going to talk explicitly about what it means to be a Christian. And so I'm really excited that we're all here together. And and, and especially for those of you who are not sure of where you stand in your faith, I really encourage you for being here and exploring. Like, this is a great place to come and to ask questions. So what do we really believe? There is a word that captures the essence of the Christian faith, but there's also a problem with that word. We've had so much exposure to this word that I'm about to tell you that it's lost a lot of its richness and its power. It's kind of like... An inoculation. Are you guys familiar with what an inoculation is? You take a small, weak dose of a disease so uh, repeatedly so that you build up an immunity to the real thing, so that when the real disease comes to you, it doesn't have an impact on you. And much in the same ways, if we would take that negative sense to a positive sense, we get these small doses of truth and, and, and what what these terms and the faith and, and belief that we, we hold on to as Christians, we get these small doses of it so much and we hear these words over and over and over again so much that when they need to hit us with the power that they hold, sometimes they don't. And so we can become inoculated to the gospel. That's the term that we're going to talk about today. That's the word specifically we're going to be looking at in this coming series. This is a church word that we throw out all the time in all sorts of different senses. You may have somebody uh, ask you a question like, hey, are you believing the gospel right now? Or you may have another statement made, hey, we as a church, we need to share the gospel more. 
You may read books like Gospel-Centered Discipleship or Gospel Fluency, both good books, but we use this gospel word all the time. You do Bible studies that are uh, things like the gospel DNA. That's a study that I've been through, and it's a wonderful study, but we use this term over and over. We have Christian websites like the Gospel Coalition, a great website and resource, but this word gets thrown over and over and over again, so much so that we forget what it really is. So what is the gospel, and what does the gospel do? We're going to attempt to start to answer these two questions in the coming weeks. And I say start to answer because there is so much to what the gospel both is and the gospel does. My personal belief is that one of the things that makes eternity something really exciting and that we, something that we should look forward to as Christians is the fact that for eternity, we're going to continue to discover the depth of what the gospel is and what the gospel has done. For some of us, we think of eternity as kind of just hanging around on a, cl- on a cloud playing a harp in the same song over and over and over again. But no, I believe we will have the opportunity to continue to plumb the depths of what this word and what this faith and belief really is. So it would be foolish for us to think that in a few sermons over a few Sundays that we're going to completely understand the gospel and the depth of what it is. But with all that said, we will have a go at it, okay, to at least start to plumb the depths of it. The gospel is the grand story of the universe. Please note that I did not say the gospel is a grand story of the universe. It is the grand story of the universe. Its origins predate time. If we were to look back as far as we can can look back, the gospel, gospel goes beyond that. And its scope actually goes forward beyond our furthest imaginings. The gospel is inscribed in the pages of history and it's written down in the words, the powerful words of the Bible. Those words are true. The gospel can be viewed in many different ways. It's like a beautiful diamond. You look at it from one angle and it's got a beautiful perspective and you look at it from another angle and it's got a beautiful perspective. If we actually look at one of those ways of looking at the gospel is to see it as a story and to see it as, or you could say, a narrative. And this narrative has four basic elements to it and one hero. You see, the gospel is much more than just the story of Jesus dying on the cross which we'll talk about that in a moment. It goes back and covers creation. The gospel tells us that there is a God who created all things. That's the first element, creation, that he created. He made this world and it was perfect. It was beautiful. It was right and it was good. It was actually very good using the words of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the very first books of the Bible. But what happens in Genesis 3 is the second element of the gospel story, and that is the fall. So you've got creation, you've got fall as this second element. That's when man chose to reject God's wisdom, to reject God's way. That's when sin came in and distorted everything. And we see the fallout of all of that around us. We have sickness, we have pain, we have disease, we have death all the result of the sin that came in and bent the creation that God made. 
So you got creation, fall, third element is redemption. The good news of the gospel is that God didn't walk away on us after the fall. No, he actually came to make things right. And we've just talked about that a whole bunch at Christmas time. We've talked about the rescue plan, the wild rescue plan, where God came as a baby. An incredible, miraculous thing. The redemption is this story that he came and he lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved so that we could be made right with the holy God again. You see, our sin had separated us from God. And there was only one way for us to be made right with God. That was for the God-man, Jesus, to come and to make us right again. So we've got creation, fall, redemption. And the fourth part of the story is the part that we as Christians look forward to. That's the restoration That's when God's going to come and make all things new, where we don't have to worry about wars, where we don't have to worry about government, where we don't have to worry about the upside-downness, the brokenness, the disease, the pain that we experience day in and day out. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The story of the gospel. And if you didn't notice already, there is one hero. His name is Jesus. He is the hero of the story of the gospel. You see, the gospel is much more than Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Now, don't get me wrong. That is a beautiful, rich, deep element of the gospel, but it's only a slice of the gospel pie. My kids already rattle off in their prayers. My six-year-old twins, when they're, they're learning to pray, and when they pray, they say things like, and thank you, you know, they're asking for, you know, to have a good sleep or to have a good day tomorrow, and then they're like, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And it comes off that quickly. And they've already learned, hey, this is an important thing, like this is a major thing, but it doesn't really impact them yet to the depth that I pray that it will. You see, the gospel is about so much more than just getting us out of hell. It's not just a get out of hell free card, although it certainly is for that. The gospel is also for our growth. It's for our changing. It's also to give us a heart and a motive for the lost around us who do not know God. It's to give us a love for the nations. It sends us. The gospel is for. That's what this series is going to be titled over the coming weeks. The gospel is for. And then add in the subject for the day. The gospel is for, yes, our salvation, which, yes, we will talk about today. But it's also for our growth. It's also for our sending. The gospel is for all of life. So we have much ground to cover in this series, but we've got to start somewhere. And so we're going to start with a certain theological term. And I've just got to stop here and say for a moment that churchy words, I think, are a blessing and a curse. And I want to just explain that for a moment. Theological terms are a blessing and a curse. They're a curse because they can cause confusion, If you throw out a whole bunch of churchy or theological sounding words, you can lose people. 
You can be preaching or talking to somebody, and if you start throwing out these terms, terms all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't know what that is. And then, you know, they turn off what they're hearing. And so I think even in church, we need to be good about when we use a term, explaining what it means. They can also be negative in that if we understand a whole bunch of churchy theological words, they can puff up our brains to think that, oh, I've got all this knowledge. I understand what that means. I understand what that means. And so it can be kind of like this scorecard for us to think, okay, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff sorted out. And that's not good either. Now, having said that, they're a blessing as well. The reason they're a blessing is because they can uniquely capture some very rich thoughts. They can hold together all sorts of ideas in one word or a couple of words that take a long time to explain. And so we're going to look at a churchy word with all of those things in mind. The term that we're going to examine today is justification. And so our sermon is titled today, The Gospel is for Our Justification. And rather than me just jumping into a definition for that, I'd like for us actually to go to our key passage, which is Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I'd ask you to turn there if you have a Bible. It's always good to be able to read along right in front of you. We will have the words on the screen as well. We're going to start in verse 12, and then we'll jump forward a little bit. Romans chapter 5. Romans is a beautiful, by the way, summation of the gospel. It carries the whole spectrum of it. It really captures a lot of that. And right here in the middle, in verse 12 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, it says, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This has to be our starting point for a conversation about the gospel and justification. We have to see and understand that sin, anything that we think, say, or do, which offends a holy and perfect, sinless God, anything we think, say, or do that is against His holiness is sin. And we all are bent towards sin. Every single person after Adam was infected with sin. That was part of the fall. Remember that second element? Creation fall. And so we all are, if you would like, under the umbrella of Adam, all infected. None of us is immune to that. Not a single one. It says there, Um, So death spread to all men because all sinned. Now I say this has to be our starting point because if you cannot conceive of your brokenness, your sinfulness, your lack of approval before a holy God, you cannot and will not understand your need for or the beauty of justification. If we're going to talk about justification, we have to come to the starting point of our brokenness, our sinfulness. So with that in mind, let's jump down to verse 16. Verse 16 reads as follows. And the free gift, that means the grace offered by Jesus, which we talked about as that third element of the gospel. The free gift is not like the result 
of that one man's sin, talking about Adam and the sin that came through him. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought, here's our key word, justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, there's a lot of words there, and I know that you may be looking at that feeling like you're cross-eyed already, okay? So let's, let's stop and say, okay, what's, what's going on here? There are two people being paralleled here. There is Adam and there is Jesus. And again, let's use that umbrella analogy. Under Adam, all are guilty, all are sinful, all are condemned. And under Jesus, anyone who is under Jesus is free of that. They're free of condemnation. They are justified. There is that key word that we're talking about. Justification. What is it? Maybe you've heard, if you've been around church, maybe you've heard people say justified. When you're justified, it means just as if I'd never sinned. Has anybody ever heard that? Okay, I'm not the only person. Good. Um, Just as if I'd never sinned. Now, that is a way of thinking and remembering what justified means yet it doesn't actually go to the full depth of what justification is. It's only actually a partial definition. You see, justification is more than just that. A true understanding of justification has two layers to it. The first is that layer of saying, yes, just as if I'd never sinned. The way that I put it down in my notes is that our sins are forgiven. Let's not make this overly complicated. What it simply means is that our sin that we inherited from Adam, which we are responsible for, that that is now taken away. The Bible talks about it as our sins are taken and they're taken by God and thrown as far away as the east is from the west, as in infinity. They're gone a long way. Verse 16 actually talks about this. If you look back in the second part of it with me, it says, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift, fro- um, sorry, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That word justification, by the way, here in verse 16 is slightly different from the one in verse 18. The one in verse 16 is talking about this removal of sin. The one in verse 18 has the fuller meaning behind it. So justification is the removal of sin. But the second layer that we have to understand is that we don't just receive the removal of our sin. The second layer is that we receive the righteousness of Christ. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Well, we can see what this is, how this is being played out in verse 17. It says, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, here's the two things, the abundance of grace, that's the removal of our sin, and the free gift of righteousness. Justification is both of these things. 
Sometimes what I'm talking about here is, is referred to by some more theological terms. It's called the great exchange or, here's a fancy sounding one, and again I apologize for that, the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, don't get caught up by these Christianese words. Imputed, what does that mean? Well, the best way to think about imputation is to think about the opposite of it, amputation. You guys know what that means, right? Amputation, the cutting off of something. Imputation is the receiving on of something. And so what it's saying here is that when Christ died and was raised to life again, that third element of the gospel story that we talked about, when that happened, we received what was imputed, added on to us, was Christ's righteousness. He didn't just take our sins. Our sins were not just imputed onto him. He also gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 actually really kind of sums this up in one verse. I'm not going to ask you to turn there right now with me, but it simply says this, For our sake he made him, as in God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Our sins were imputed onto Jesus. But then it also goes on and says, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So what this means is that when God looks at us, and guys, if you don't hear anything today, hear this, what I'm about to say. When God looks at us, he no longer sees our sinful brokenness, but rather he sees the perfection of Jesus. Now think about what the depth of that means. When God looks at you, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, He doesn't see all of the wrong things that you've thought, said, and done. No, He sees the son who He loves, the daughter who He loves. Remember what He said about Jesus at His baptism. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's how He views us. That view is imputed onto us. The great exchange has taken place. That's why it's called the great exchange. One author put it like this. Justification is the truly dramatic transition from the status of a condemned criminal awaiting a terrible sentence to that of an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. We should talk about justification and either have a huge smile on our face or maybe tears in our eyes as we think about the gravity of what happens. And so Christians, I have specifically for you three questions. And not just for you, for us, for myself included. When we think about this full understanding of justification, where it is, yes, the removal of our sins, but also the, the, the given righteousness, the perfection of Jesus, I want to first ask us, do we understand the scope of our justification? And my answer, if I look at my own life and that of others believers as well, is simply no. Because if we did, our lives would surely be more humble and more worshipful. Second question, are we living every moment of every day in our new identity as dearly loved sons and daughters of God? That's who we are. 
We go from being these criminal types to being these heirs. And again, my honest answer is no. Looking even just at my own life, so often we wallow in insecurity, not knowing who am I, you know. And, and the truth is, if you're in Christ, you are an heir. You're a son and you're a daughter. We worry about what others think of us, or we even worry about what God thinks of us. And that's already spoken for. Third question. Are we fully dependent? Hinging on that word fully, are we fully dependent on the justification we have in Christ? And again, my answer has to be no, because often I see myself and other believers looking to other means for our justification. Sometimes it's good behavior. We're like, oh, look at all the, how I've been acting lately. I'm, I'm doing a good job, God. You must love me a little bit more because I did X, Y, or Z. Sometimes it's our spiritual di- disciplines. God, I've, I've been reading my Bible faithfully. Look how much I've been praying, God. Sometimes it's our acts of service. Look how much I've been serving my community or serving the church family. Or even our sharing of our faith. This year, look how many times I shared what I believe with my co-workers or with my neighbors. And what I'm trying to make the point of is simply this, that whenever we try to say those are the things that make me right with God, that justifies me with God, that's hugely insulting to him. It's like God has come along and paid this multi-million dollar debt and we're digging in our pocket and we find 5p and put it in the pot and say, look how much I did. Except that's not even the right scale. It goes beyond that. It's hugely insulting. Tim Keller says this, if anything but Christ is your justification, you are falling into idolatry i.e. you're looking to something else to be your savior, your good works, yourself. This self-righteousness that we struggle with, whether we're Christians or non-Christians, is not a new problem. I was just reading the other day Luke chapter 18. I'm going to ask you to turn there. Luke chapter 18. And this story just jumped off the page. I knew that I was going to be talking about justification and I read, this, I read this story with new eyes. It says in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18 that Jesus had some people around him who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, i.e. they were self-righteous. And so he goes ahead and he does what he does. He tells an awesome story. In verse 10, it starts out, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, by the way, that was a very religious person, and the other, a tax collector. Now, this was a guy that nobody liked. He was the sellout, the guy who had sold out from the Jews to the Romans. And it says that the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The verse that should get us here is verse 14. It tells us that the tax collector went down to his house justified. I think you guys get the point. I don't need to elaborate on this anymore. The, the thing that we simply need to ask ourselves is, are we like the first man or the second? Are we acting like the Pharisee or the tax collector? Are you looking to yourself or to God to make you right with him? You see, Christ and Christ alone is sufficient for our justification. And remember again, what does justification mean? He is sufficient to forgive us, to make us right, to, to cleanse us from our sins, but also to give us his perfection. You see, we're talking in this series about the gospel. And to really do that well, we have to start here at justification. Yes, there is much more to be explored in the coming weeks. But before we talk about how the gospel is for our growing and becoming more like Jesus, which we will talk about, or how we talk about how the gospel is for our loving the lost around us and how it sends us, how it compels us to go to be the ambassadors that God's called us to be, which we will talk about that too. We must first see that the gospel is for us. It's for our right standing with God. So I've got to ask the question this morning of where do you stand before God? You have an opportunity to start 2020 in the right space with God. He is ready and willing to justify you for free. You see, justification, that forgiveness of your sins and the imputed righteousness of Christ, that doesn't come to you with any charge to you. It came at great expense to him, but it's completely free for you. So what's stopping you from doing that today, from, from receiving the full weight of the justification? Is it pride? Is it prideful self-effort? These are just some of the barriers. And I think these are barriers to both those of us who would call ourselves Christians and those who are not sure of where we stand. If we're not sure where we stand, sometimes it's to say, I, I don't know if I'm as sinful as you're saying, Harley. I don't know if there is this fractured relationship between God and myself. And it's pride to say, I, I don't need this, this forgiveness of sins that you're talking about. But even as we've talked about today, even as Christians, sometimes we act that way by simply saying, God, isn't it my behavior that makes me right with you? Whatever space you find yourself in, whether you're a Christian or you're not, the call is the same this morning. It's to repent and to experience the freedom of being God's child. For a Christian, it's simply remembering again that your justification means a complete doing of all that needs to be done. That you're loved, that you're accepted. 
For those of you who are not sure of where you stand in your faith, right now is a moment to say, yeah, okay, I see what I need and I want that. If that's you today, come and, come and talk to me. You may be like, I, I don't know how to respond. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's pray together. Let's ask God for you to find that right space with him. Let's not go on into this year without taking care of what needs to be taken care of. So I don't know what resolutions you're going to step into 2020 with. I do know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, the early church leader Paul said something that I really love about resolutions. He said to his friends in the church there in Corinth, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I don't want to boo-hoo any of you who have got some New Year's resolutions. Maybe you have some great things going on as far as your health or your finances or your relationships, your time. That's great. But what I do want to challenge you to do is to see that all of those things are secondary to what should be our number one resolution. Let's resolve this year to know Christ, to know the gospel and to embrace fully the justification, this beautiful free gift of justification that God has given us. Let me pray. God, thank you. That the gospel is about more than just Jesus died on the cross for my sins, although that is so beautiful and so rich and so good. Thank you that the scope of the gospel goes beyond that. Lord, continue to increase our capacity to understand what it is and what it does. We thank you that the gospel is for our justification for making us clean from our sins, but also righteous with Jesus' righteousness. And God, I pray that if anybody in this room is not relying on the justification offered them through Jesus, that they would today fully embrace that. God, we admit that even as Christians, we continue to struggle to believe that the justification that you've offered is sufficient at times. That's obvious through the way that we live as Christians. Forgive us for that. Help us today to fully embrace the justification that you've given us. I pray that even as we respond in these next few minutes, that there would be a sense of just really stepping back and being in awe and wonder and worship as we think about all that you've done for us. God, help it not to be theoretical. Work on our hearts today. May we be overwhelmed as we reflect on your goodness to us. Amen.